Hello, this is Mary Cole and the Good Story Podcast, helping writers craft a good story. With me, you will hear from thought leaders related to writing, and sometimes not, about topics important to writers of all categories and ability levels. Here is to telling a good story. Hello, this is Mary Cole and the Good Story Podcast. And today with me, I am so excited to welcome author Leslie C. Youngblood, who has joined me. Uh, Leslie, if you don't mind, can you tell listeners, readers, writers, our audience a little bit about yourself? Yes. Thank you, Mary, for having me. Good Story Company. I really do appreciate it. I am Leslie C. Youngblood. I'm the author of two middle grade novels, Love Like Sky. That was originally published by Disney Hyperion and later sold to a Little Brown for young readers. And also my second novel, Forever This Summer, which just published July of 2021. So it's like a new baby book. It's not that old. So um, that is my newest book. And those um, are Forever This Summer is the sequel to Love Like Sky. And I have an MFA from UNC Greensboro. I really enjoyed that experience. And I'm just here to tell you what I know. <laughs> I love it. And I did notice on your website, July 6th was your publication date, uh, which is actually my birthday. I'm oh, wow. also a little baby. 29 forever is, is what I am. Your book, a little bit newer than that. <laughs> I love it. So one of the things that I noticed right away is though you have written these two middle grade books, uh, you say on your website, you know, I'm, I'm not so much a fan of categories. And that was one of the things I asked you before we got started. I said, well, do you want to be introduced as a middle grade author, just an author? Of course, there's no just about it, right? There's no just. No, never. So tell us, tell us about this reluctance to be put in a category, even when somebody would see your two middle grade books and say, oh, she writes middle grade. What are you, what are you thinking with that? Well, first, I absolutely love middle grade. And so to be called a middle grade author is an honor. But prior to being published in middle grade, I was also writing uh, women's lit. So those are, you know, I was from, I'm familiar with that category as well. So it becomes, I guess what I'm noticing, it becomes what you first published as is what people want to categorize you as. And my idea with that is I'm a writer that whatever voice comes to me, that is what I want to write. So if I've written five you know, middle grade novels and I get an idea or a voice comes to me and the voice of a, a 13 year old that will put me in middle grade, if a voice comes to me as a, a 30 something year old woman that will put me in women's lit. So I just want to be true to the voices and true to the stories I want to tell more so than following anyone's genre. That's a really fair point. And I do think that sometimes people feel pigeonholed. They publish in a category. They publish in a category. Well, can you make a move to young adult? Can you make a move to picture book, to women's fiction, to literary fiction? Sometimes publishing can be a little inflexible. They want to see a track record in a certain category. They want to see some branding. Um, 
Do you have, are you making tracks to other categories right now? Are- um, not, well, I'm always making tracks with things <laughs> I'm, I'm drafting. You know, I could be working on a thriller and I want to know this doesn't mean it's going to publish. But what I, what I do is this, the next story that I'm going to tell will be middle grade. But it really becomes, when you work so, when it took so long to publish, I, I've been on this publishing journey maybe 15 years before I published. So when that is your story, why would I let anyone box me in? Even though, keep in mind, I love middle grade. If I did not publish anything but middle grade, then I'm fine. As long as I know that this is what I want to do and the stories I want to tell, and I'm not someone who really is writing middle grade, longing to write something else. It's not that. When I get that urge, I'll write that. So that is where I am with that right now. And I, I think that long as you love the stories you're telling, you're fine. But if you think that you want to explore another genre and you feel pigeonholed, you need to break out of that because, you know, this is our passion. You know, this is definitely mine and what I love to do. So I want to make sure that I'm happy and I'm true to the story. I just don't want to crank stuff out, you know? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how you got to this point. And I think one of the things that listeners will find very inspiring is that you did have a bit of a journey to get here. So can, can you tell us about those 15 years and, and what what you did, what you discarded, what you might pick back up again, the MFA process. Oh, so much. I, I, um, let me see, such a long journey. I started writing short stories. So if, if you Google me, you probably will find a few short stories that I've written. So my first, I thought I would first be published as a short story writer, um, you know, a, a collection of interlinked stories. So I, I was really big on doing that. And when I thought about an MFA, I had a nice cushy job in, in uh, Atlanta at Morehouse College. And I kept reading short stories and everything and, and every bio. And here's a, you know, here's a, a, a tip. Read the bios, you know, read the bios and read um, the acknowledgement of any writer that you admire because it tells you so much. So every time I would read the acknowledgement sections, I would hear, you know, the, the writers would uh, mention their MFA. And I said, hmm, let me look into that. So, you know, I did that and I was fortunate to get a uh, an offer to attend UNC Greensboro. So that was a blessing. So I did that and um, worked, you know, worked on literary fiction. Because let me tell you, at that point, you know, this was over, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe, maybe more. And at that point, well, I don't know, it wasn't that long before I finished my MFA. Um, at that point, I don't think that I, I didn't produce any stories with a middle grade voice. It's like when you're in an MFA program at that point, it was before the popularity of um, children's literature. So I don't even know if there was an established program that I could have, you know, um, received an MFA in children's lit, like, and there's a ton of them now. So when you're in that MFA program, no one usually presents children's voices that fit middle grade. Um, of course, that varies 
because you can't have a a children, you know, a young voice, but it's it's adult, like um, Bastard out of Carolina, Toni Morrison. Um, so, so on. So once I decided to write, let, let me back up and tell this story. Okay, this is this this is when I really said writing is for me. I was actually in my twenties. A lot of people think that every writer started, you know, out of the womb writing. I loved writing. <laughs> I love listening to stories. But because of my background, my mom being a single parent, I wasn't one. I, I had things to do. I couldn't really, not that people that loved to read when they were young did not, but it wasn't really encouraged as much as gra grabbing my siblings and getting in front of the TV so we could just, you know, entertain ourselves. So when I was um, in my 20s, I was a receptionist at a, a government agency in Atlanta, Georgia. So... I'm sitting there and I'm reading and I'm, I think I'm reading like, uh, what am I reading at the time? I, I forgot. So I'm reading these novels and um, doing homework and a, a woman named Nettie, she was a secretary, I was a receptionist. She came to my desk and she says, hey, I have a book that I think you may like, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll take a look. The book was James Baldwin's Go Tell It on the Mountain, which I have right up there on my on my uh, bookcase. She gives me this book, Mary. I read this book for the rest of my shift. The next day, I changed my major from marketing to writing with a concentration in creative writing. Oh, my goodness. The next day. So... To say a book changed my life is 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 honest. So from that point, that's when I went from loving to write to I have to do this. Whatever, when, what the motions that I felt when I read Baldwin, I needed to 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 make people feel that when I wrote something, and I I wanted to to do that. And um, since then, it's been on to writing short stories, uh, writing essays. And finally, onto my MFA program, and then from there, maybe about four or five novels that may see the light of day one day, or maybe not. You know, um, yep. <laughs> I do look back on some of those and, and thinking, okay, I can see why this wasn't published now. So all that to say is, is I love the journey. It's, it's it's made me who I am right now. It's taught me a lot, and most importantly, I think. The most important thing that I'm taking from that journey is the ability to, to share what I've learned with others. Yeah. Well, so you went from, if I'm hearing you, you went from sort of writing, it was aspirational. It was more personal to yourself. Uh -huh. You were getting, you were getting, let's say the practical major, you were maybe going to go into marketing, into business. Oh, I was, was going to be a fashion designer. <laughs> I wanted to go into so also I, I, artistic. All right, um, fashion design. I like to. I was. A, I, I like to sew. I did a lot of sewing. I'm making like my prom um, prom dress in high school. My grandma could sew. My mom could sew, and, and I just thought fashion design. So this is a very important point because it's what you're. It's, it sometimes it comes down to what you are exposed to as a child. See, keeping in mind. Perhaps if I had a lot of uh, writers around me at the time or people that were um, encouraging that, then it would have been different because I always loved to write. And, you know, I was just had journal, not journals, but I would just, you know, write little essays and things. 
um, throughout elementary school and high school, my English teacher said, oh, you're great. And my English teacher did tell me, whatever you go into, this is when when I graduated, she said, whatever field you go into, you should write. And I was like, I'm going into fashion design, you know. She said, well, you should be a fashion writer, really. And I was thinking, I don't think she really understood. I didn't have, I didn't understand what that was. Um, Yeah. You know, it was years later before I would really understand the prominence of Black writers. Um, You know, I I just wasn't aware. So fashion design was it for me until I really decided, and I don't really like shopping. I don't really like the whole fashion design thing. So I decided to go into marketing. That, you know, I would be a buyer. And then, you know, still writing short stories for myself. But then when I saw and read Baldwin, it took me on this journey to learn more about Black authors other than uh, Richard Wright, which I think is the only one that I had really been exposed to, some of his uh, native son and things of that nature that didn't grab me as Baldwin did. Um, So, you know, so so that's that that's how it went. And now when though I landed on uh writing, it never ever wavered. Never. I've I've been on a, a steady course, not always knowing what I was doing, but I knew that's what I wanted. <laughs> I knew that writing would be in, it was gonna be in the picture somewhere. So you you studied sort of acknowledgements. You looked at what other writers were doing. Your world was sort of opened to the precedent that Black writers had set, and you figured out that you had this community to participate in, and you decided an MFA was really kind of a structured way to do that. You saw that as sort of a career-building step for you? I saw it as a career-building step. I saw it as because of you know the people that I was, I, I was reading at the time. This is what what they've done, I was looking for a blueprint, perhaps, you know, now there's, you know, so much that perhaps, you know, MFA or not, is it, it could go either way. But at, at that time, and not having the structure, not knowing anyone who was an author, and able to reach out to, you know, hundreds of, of, of authors online at any given time, I just didn't have that. So the MFA was 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 a way for me to to stay connected, and I had such a a you know a up and down journey just financially finishing my undergraduate degree that this offer based on you know short stories that I had written um, to to go for two years and and just everything is taken care of you know I, I was I was I was honored to to do that. That's amazing and um, such such a gift. And it, it is. It really was. It was on. It was a time that I I learned. And now keep in mind when I really locked on locked on to um, creative writing. I also got a a, a minor in African American studies because I launched myself into English. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, now I'm gonna. And then I'm you know I'm sitting there reading old English and I'm sitting there feeling really disconnected, you know, child surrey, yeah, that's great for p- other people, but it made me, I, I was at a distance. I was back to where I was before. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So um, it's, then I had to change my, my minor to African-American studies. And 
So even though whatever they threw at me with Shakespeare, some good, some bad, and all all the others, you know, because keep in mind when when you don't have the community around you that is is um, I, you know, normally I was the only African American in my workshops, only African American here there when I went to these conferences that I needed that to to really say this is what I can do. These are the people that have done it before because it's, it's, it's just not, you, you may, if, 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 if what you've seen is always people that look like you, then you don't understand that. I'm thinking I want to write and I know there has to be more than Baldwin out there. And I had to have those doors open for me. And now my gosh, what I've, what I've found is, is just amazing. Well, now we we have, I mean, publishing is very slowly uh, having a cranio-rectal extraction, <laughs> if you will, of representing diverse creators, diverse voices on the shelves, representing the larger world that we all live in, giving people those opportunities to have a seat at the table that they should have had many, many, many years ago. Um, but at the time when you were coming up, I can appreciate that you needed to see what was possible. You needed to see that blueprint. You needed to see other people who look like you, who sound like you, who have the stories that you have to tell that context to see that represented in the larger world, to, to know that it was possible. Right. To, to write the stories. Now, keep in mind, I'm very uh, fortunate to have a family. Um, my family is, um, very uh, good at oral storytelling. That's what we do, you know, around the, the dinner table. Um, so I had that ear for a good story. And I use that today because that is what I, I think most of my stories, dialogue is my thing, just listening to people talk and appreciating that my, you know, grandparents had maybe third, second, third grade education, but they could tell a story they could hold you with a story. And some of us, we can get MFAs, but that what it takes to hold a person to a story, to really capture a character, um, we, we really have to hone that. I have like seven questions for you. So let's, <laughs> I, I would love to sort of talk about kind of the things that you learned in your MFA program in a different category, in short story and literary fiction, how you apply it to uh, to your work now. But so after your MFA, you actually went and taught. So these elements of a good story, not only have you experienced them, not only do you apply them to your own work, you teach people, you teach other writers how to tell stories. Um. I absolutely love being a creative writing. I was assistant professor of creative writing. Actually, with the MFA program, I earned a lectureship. Our lectureship is after you do your two years, they give you like another two years to work on your craft and teach. So that, you know, uh, developed my skills at teaching and really having that access to students to, to show them what I knew is as well as just give them that encouragement that, hey, if you want to write, this is what you can do. And I was happy that I not, now I was that writer that another African-American person could see or just someone 
who really just didn't know that a novelist is something to aspire to because I was teaching still, but still understanding that I wanted to do both. This was, it was going to be this. I was going to write and teach or I I was just going to write. It was never going to be, I'm going to teach and never write. Um, Cause I, you know, people would tell me, oh, when you've been here, cause I was on a tenure track. Oh, when you've been here and you're, you've tenured that writing thing, you know, you'll forget about that. I'm thinking, <laughs> uh, and, and people do. And a lot of people do. They just say, you know, Hey, I'm just, I have a good job. That was just a dream I had. I, I vow never to do that. Um, cause I think sometimes maybe if it was just something they were not, it wasn't dyed in the wool, like it was with me, then they could give it up and still teach and be happy. Or, and unfortunately we see this a lot, they're secretly like disgruntled and miserable and they really wish they had stuck to it. Now they're taking it out on students and not giving students everything that they need. Um, so we don't want that. So, um, you know, no. so I, I just knew that I was going to write. I said, well, I will let the teaching go before I let my dream of, of, of being a writer, author go. And eventually that's what happened. I did step away from teaching. I could have stayed perhaps and published. Not everyone can do that and give students what they need 100%. Some people can do it. And I love the ones that do. I have several colleagues friends that do it very well. They publish, you know, top tier and still teach. I mean, Morrison does it, you know, or did it. Um, so it can be done, but it, everyone can't do it. You know, especially if you're teaching comp and you're grading, you know, 40 essays, a, you know, a class period. So <laughs> that's a lot. It is. Yeah. So, so you were teaching, you had this lectureship, you know, you had on the one hand this idea like, oh, you have this this great job. It's writing adjacent. You know, you have this security. Where were you in your quest for publication at that point? Was it did you step away from teaching because you felt like you were racking up publication credits? Were you getting closer on your novels? Where was your writing at that point? Oh, I was I was working on novels and I was getting rejected left and right. <laughs> You know, just rejection you know, that I, I have, and I, I have every, perhaps every single rejection I've ever received. Um, the ones, even the ones that even before, yeah, I have all the ones on email. Um, it may be more than 200 or so. So that is, you know, where I was with just being rejected, which taught me just to endure, you know, to stay, you know, to stay in there. Which takes me back to um, one of my quote that I'll paraphrase from Baldwin that says, you know, you will have uh, people have talent, you know, they could be a genius, but it's the endurance um, and the discipline, you know, that that will keep you on your quest to be a writer. So I think um, while I was teaching, I would get up at five, which I still do today, and write. So I would do eight o'clock classes because I'm a morning person. I'm bubbly in the morning. I would get up at five. <laughs> I would write and then I would have my eight o'clock classes and, you know, maybe one or two after that. Um, and that's the way it went. 
So, but none of those, I think I did three, three novels that were not published, unpublished. Um, okay. Then I, unfortunately, I experienced a family tragedy. I lost, we lost one of my younger brothers. And so when I dealt with that, this was like, in, you know, 2010, 2012, um, that, you know, that changes everything. And I personally kind of don't talk about that much because it's too emotional still. You know, sometimes I do and I'll, I'll start crying and all that. So, but I just wanted to tell people that, you know, something happens and you just say, wait a minute, um, I'm not giving everything I need because I didn't take uh, a sabbatical or anything. I, I tried to come back to teaching and, um, and some, you know, and I was on my way to one of my classes and I believe it was my brother's spirit that said, Hey, you know, are you, are you, you know, here, are you giving students what they need? And honestly, I, it was draining me and I knew that I, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. And so I resigned and, um, and I just walked into, and I think it, when something hits you, it hits you. Um, and it's just like what happened with Baldwin, when that thing says you have to resign. I was in Missouri at the time at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. I resigned. I just, after that class, I went to my department head and said, I'm resigning. He's like, you know, I'm like, I, I just know in my spirit, I, I need to walk away. Two years later, forever this um, love light sky. <laughs> so I do think... Um, it was a sibling, and that was the first time. Now, okay, keeping it wasn't the first time that a a middle grade voice came to me because if you look at some of my uh, my uh, MFA thesis, these characters, believe it or not, are secondary characters in my MFA thesis. But never would I have thought to put them at the forefront. Of uh, you know to to have that voice carry the story, so it was literally this this ten you know eleven year old girl, and she she's like I, I I can do it I can do it I can I can be the voice of this I'm really I, I have I tell people that and they think I'm like this voice was like put me in coach type thing where you're always making me the secondary character. It comes to trusting your voice, trusting those voices that come to you. You know, and not trying to write to market or or be the next this person or this person. Trust the voices that come, which circles us back to why I particularly don't want. You know, I I kind of shy away from being pigeonholed because a voice may come to me that's outside of middle grade, and I have I would have to follow that. So this is very, very interesting. Um, you have now written two, you've written more, obviously. You wrote your thesis, maybe one of those other novels that uh, is on a hard drive somewhere. Maybe we'll stay there, maybe not. They're, they're all here. I, everyone's still on a hard drive. I, I look at them sometimes. <laughs> they're hanging out with your rejection letters, reminding you how far you've come, you know. Um <laughs> So these are, and then you have your two novels that are now published and they're, they're, uh, in the same world. You, is it a sequel? Is it a continuation? It, so you've kind of, you've come at these characters a couple of times 
first with your thesis, and then you gave them a run at kind of top billing in your middle grade. Uh, how... How do you decide that there are more stories to tell in this world? How do you how do you sort of now chunk out those stories into separate books? How do you make those decisions? Well, I think for my uh, third book, chances are, well, I, I know for a fact the third book, these characters are are on hiatus. So I will okay. I'm probably going to um, I know that I'm working on totally different characters, totally different, totally different setting. So it'll give them a break, but I know that there's more to tell because I, like I said, these, when these kids, when, when you are a writer, like, you know, my, many of the people who are listening to us are, I, the character is always talking to you and it's your job to just come in, write, tell the story you want to tell at the time. And when you fleshed out characters, so I think that you can you can rejoin them and 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 where they are at the moment or where you know they would be when you look in on them again. So I don't ever close out a character. Like this character is done, you know. The character to me is a living and breathing person in my mind and hopefully when readers read it they feel that way. So when you take that approach that I am to to the best of my ability creating fleshed out characters that are just carrying on their with their lives, you know, so to speak. When um, when I'm away from them as as the creator, when I pick back up, I know that I I, I can reconnect to them, and I, I think that's why you have some writers who can give you you know six seven you know novels, and you're still like, ooh, what's what's next? So hopefully, mm-hmm, hopefully these characters will be that for me. But I am going to to go to um, you know some other characters as well. So uh, for for those of us who maybe uh, can't channel characters sort of whole from the universe or wherever it is that they live. Um, I love that, by the way. I I love the idea of just listening to intuition and just sort of tuning in. I think all of us need to take more time to do that, Mm -hmm. especially right now. Everybody's running around stressed out. There are so many personal and global stressors on all of us. Right, And I think that people are just like running roughshod over their their intuition and their inner voices. But so, so you strike me as a writer who can, can tune in. When you are in a place where you can tune in and you do sort of open your inner heart, your inner ear um, to those voices, how do you then take that and shape it into a character that people want to follow? You know, you 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 seem to lead with character first. That's what we're I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a character driven writer. There's plot driven yeah. writers and there's character driven. And I'm a character. If I don't have a character that I can, you know connect to, then I, 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 I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So I really just think of it because I, I'm a people watcher and because I hear stories and all these stories are about people. And I really believe that my job as a writer is to, uh, to bring these people to life and, and, and to tell whatever story I believe they want to tell. That's the only way that I can explain it is to really go into it with, what do you think this character would want to say? And I think sometimes we get in trouble when we when we're wondering what the world wants to to read. And I know it's important, and I know that 
you know, you have to think of marketability somewhere down the line. But if that's your drive, if that's when you're sitting down like, oh, I know this will, then you're going to, you may only reach a character that may be hot at that moment, but doesn't have any longevity for you as a writer, because you didn't honestly create that person or that character. So I think when I, when I think of these characters, I really just think of characters that I would want to visit, you know, five, 10 years in the future to, to see how they are. And what is it you, that you think draws you to them, to this this idea of this emotional truth? The character is speaking to you. It's something that you connect with. Is it their hopes and dreams, their ambitions? Is it what they want and need? Is it their relationships and kind of how they function interrelatedly with other characters and sort of the life that springs from that? What What elements do you find yourself most drawn to exploring? I think I'm exploring relationships with others. Uh, relationships is a big one because all of the characters, sometimes there's, I know once I had, um, I wrote a story called Poor, Poor Girl's Palace. It, I think it was published, well, it was published in the Indiana Review. And the editor wrote back, hey, there's a lot of characters here, you know, because <laughs> I love characters, you know. And sometimes, you know, maybe I have too many and he says, this reads more like a novel. And I was like, well, that's a good thing, sort of. But I, I think um, I'm always curious how my characters relate. And so I have to develop another character. So at one point, it becomes, okay, Leslie, can't have, you, you have too many characters. You know, and then one of my professors said, hey, that's, that's not a bad problem to have. You just have to know how to... Uh, understand that sometimes you have to pull back and just work with the ones that that you have and it may be like someone else they have all these beautiful and, and interesting plot plot points where I'm struggling with that but they and I'm just working well I'm, I'm still on the character so I have to kind of balance and you just can't have characters you have to have plot but as a character driven writer I, I love developing characters that's probably one of my favorite parts of writing. I think this is, this can sometimes be a piece of feedback that middle grade writers especially uh, run into, which is that a coming of age story, it's like, okay, well, what else, you know, what else is going on? Um, and, and have you ever heard feedback like that? Like, oh, okay. These, these are interesting characters. They're coming of age in front of our eyes what what else is going on here uh i've never i've never heard that actually because if anything i have too much going on you know i have like another subplot because i want everyone to live out what you know and and, and to do what i think they need to do in the story so sometimes i have the coming of age of the the protagonist what they're focused on but then i have these two and three subplots so it it I, I don't think I've run into that. If anything, it's like there's so much going on, you know, what is the main theme here? <laughs> Something you you nature. say you're not a strong plotter, and yet now I'm hearing about just subplots coming out of the woodwork. 
it, it's really following the relationships. It's following that this person wants to 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 live out this this particular uh, dream, or this person wants to connect with this person. So when you build it first on character, plot comes. You know, plots will definitely come. It's just not where I start, but follow an interesting person around, they're going to get into some stuff, you know? So if your characters are interesting, if your characters are interesting, if your characters like human beings, we sometimes, you know, we just get into, sometimes we get into trouble. Sometimes, you know, we, we fall into different things, fall in love, fall out of love. Um, and with, with middle grade, sometimes you don't have to look very long before there's trouble or there's something else. So, when you create a character that you want to follow, trust me, they're going to run into an obstacle. And then there's the plot. <laughs> so relationship, obstacles, uh, the fancies of the human heart, right? Right, and connecting um, with parents. Of course, you know, for middle grade, it's, it's more so um, bullying. And then there's, you know, maybe small crushes. But then there's how do they relate to family drama? How do they relate yeah. when parents split? How do they um, how do they deal when when their best friend has to leave the leave the state? Um, how do they deal with failure? So with within that, you you know you you they get themselves in, in and out of, of troubles or situations, or even find out what makes them happy. You know that's that's even you know that's a lot. How do when when you're just coming of age and you realize what makes you happy and how do they uh, show up in the world? You know, how do they show up? How do, how do they, how do they best, uh, you know, live their life? I think that's an amazing additional point. When we talk about character, uh, they're still individuating themselves. Mm -hmm. They have no idea about some of these things. They are making bold decisions. And one day it's one decision. Another day, it might be a different decision, but just what, what lights them up is, is something that I don't think I've talked to anybody about it as a character consideration. Because I don't think we do it a lot. We, we don't, we don't think about that at middle grade because I don't know if often we pay attention to that at that, you know, with kids of that age, because we usually think it's things it's, 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 um, when usually it's, it, it may not be. So when you're developing characters and you're a character centered, you, you look for those things. What, what, what brings this character joy at this age? Um, and, and that, that has been something that I have found that really keeps me connected to my characters and learning them as, as I write. What have been those drivers that you found for your main characters, just out of curiosity? Well, the, one of the drivers is really for, uh, for, for Love Light Sky. This is uh, for Love Light Sky. I think one of the drivers... For for um, this is my first novel. You know she's dealing with her her parents splitting and trying to deal with a a uh, a new stepmom and trying to find her place and and you know trying to navigate that experience and she's trying to be the best big sister she can for her little sister, um, which brings her joy or, or which which, but then then she's trying to wrestle with the fact that. Even though she loves her little sister, 
she sometimes finds her irritating as well, you know. <laughs> so, you know, am I still a big am I still a good big sister if I find my little sister irritating? You know, all of these things are are, are going on with her. But what I really think the driver for that story is is her trying to figure out what this divorce means. And that's big because adults don't usually know. So, and then they have a habit of looking, they, they understand, you know, that the kids are going to, to react to it, but they don't really know how. And also they also kind of talk over them. And I think one of my mentors told me, you know, which is, I think we, we learned this as we go, that kids are usually smarter than we give them credit for. They pick up things they are uh, way more than we give them credit for. So I try to walk that line um, in my stories where I try to make sure that I'm I'm not writing down to my readers. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that helps me a lot. And that really helps drive my stories because I'm not writing down and I'm having them confront issues head on. And, and do you find, so you're sort of observing your characters, you're following them around with a notepad. Uh, do you, have you injected any of your personal experiences growing up into your fiction or is it, does it exist sort of outside of you? No, never, no, no, never personal, never. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, that I have never heard before. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't I love to say that? I don't know. I would love to meet that writer. I would love to. I mean, it. what would be the fun in that? I don't understand that. I mean, I couldn't. I can't imagine that. Um, of, uh, sometimes this life that we live, to me, if you're not taking it and you're not helping someone by putting what you've learned in the story or sharing it. I mean, where does it go? So to me, yes, I do. Um, I'll just tell you particularly, say for instance, in forever in love, like sky, my first novel, the sister um, has meningitis, the, the baby sister. I mean, that's not giving away the plot. That's just, it's in the back of the book. So she has meningitis and growing up, my sister had meningitis, spinal meningitis. And now what happens though, what I figured out and sometimes writing is people say, write what you know, we, we've heard that adage before. Um, and sometimes it's like, well, we have to keep in mind, sometimes we write what we don't know. We write how we wish things could have gone and we, 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 we travel that road with writing but I remember when my sister was, you know, struck with, with menin- meningitis, you know, I was very young and she was younger. And I just remember I wake up, we, we have these twin beds and her bed was empty. And we, we've always been in the same bedroom and she's always been over there. For her bed to be empty was the scariest thing. And no one talked to me about it because my mom, everyone was so focused, of course, on... um making sure she was okay. They were at the hospital. And as a child, they didn't think that I, you know, they didn't, they were so busy parenting and and they didn't think that, oh my gosh, you know, we need to, you know, walk her through this as well. 
So in my novel, I, 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 I take that on and say, wow, we have to talk about this fear because there's another kid out there that has a, a ailing sibling and maybe this book will help them walk through it. So that's just one of the things I put in. Now, totally, I had to research meningitis. I don't remember anything from then, but guess what? I remember the emotion. I remember that fear. That never goes away. And so that's in the book um, from me. Um, I don't. I didn't. I didn't have any of these divorce discussions. Uh, my mom was a single mom, and this girl, um, Georgie, my character. No, she has the love of two dads, a stepdad and her biological father. So everyone thinks that's my experience, but it's not. The things that people think are my experience in the book aren't. Like nobody thinks that my sister had meningitis. People think, oh, you know, you had two dads growing up. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, didn't have a relationship with my biological father. They're like, well, how can you write about a biological um father and, and daughter, if you've never experienced that, because I can, I wanted to imagine how it would be. And so, so that's when you're writing to something that maybe you wanted to experience or you wanted to know. So, you know, that's, that's something too. So a lot of my, uh, I wouldn't say, of course, not the majority, because a lot of it is, of course, is fiction is fictionalized, but yeah, I always put a little something of me in the books. And forever this summer, uh, my second book here, yeah, is um, actually um, the setting is Bogalusa. The first for Love Light Sky is set in Atlanta, but this one is set in my actual hometown of Bogalusa, Louisiana. So there, right there, is is you know something that I wanted to do. So as we wrap up here. I am struck by your colleague delivering the James Baldwin volume into your hands and sort of setting you on a path. And now you're in this position to create community and to engage other writers. And you are now in that position to sort of reach out and who knows who you can influence, who knows who you can make community with um, and empower in your own right. How, how is that? Um, is, is that something that you feel like you're taking on? Definitely. I love to take it on. I love to visit um, schools, talk to young kids to make sure that they know and they can say, even as young as six, seven, eight, they've seen an actual published author, um, a, a African American published author. Is is one thing to see them on the internet. Is one thing to talk to one and and to to have one there. So I take that on. I, I'm always open to talk to people online about the process. And I know we probably went a little into my whole character driven thing. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I just want to make sure that we talk some craft issues as far as, um, yep. you know, my, you know, like I, I, I write in the mornings. Um, I don't now, I don't necessarily write every day, but every day I'm thinking about writing. I'm doing something writerly as they say. So, but I don't necessarily have to write every single day, but most days I do, you know, 95% of the time I, I'm writing. And then you have to understand if you self-publish, 
versus, you know, traditional publish, learn both is what I would say. Um, and I'm, I'm a, a fan of not boxing yourself in uh, with that as well. I don't, I've, so far I've only traditionally published, but who knows in the future I'm, I may self-publish. Um, it has come a long way since 10 or, you know, 12 years ago. So, but people don't understand when you've been on the, 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 if you were teaching at one point, the, the odds of you even thinking about self-published publishing at that time were slim, you know, it didn't, it didn't count for tenure. So it wasn't that you're in this ivory tower where you, you don't appreciate people who self-published. It just wasn't, you know, you didn't even think about it because it didn't, it didn't count as tenure. I don't know if that's changed. So, um, you know, so the barriers to entry are so much lower. The barriers to marketing are a lot higher. Uh, the, the legitimacy barrier, I would say, I don't know. in so far as a master's program tenure, I'm not sure. I, I would still say that independent publishing has its own legitimacy issues and also like self-validation issues as well but it is such a path that for certain categories especially makes so much sense for writers to take and to your point yes you've traditionally published these two projects but for a different category maybe for a different project you might find yourself taking that route i think people shouldn't that they shouldn't count it out um and 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 if i'll tell you this once do not count on once traditionally published always traditionally published that's not the case you are really only as as hot as as you are that first three or four months your book is out <laughs> so we could have a whole nother we could have had a whole different conversation about sales numbers uh no, I mean, what what I love about your bio, and we didn't even get a chance to uh, talk about uh, what we should have been talking about this entire time, which is the TV show Shark Tank. Um, <laughs> you love to see people kind of at the top of their game. But what I think is really interesting about this little aside that you've gotten into is that at the top of your game can look like so many different things. At the top of your game, you know, one person's top of their game is not the other person's top of the game. And I do think that as a writer, if your top of the game is only the New York Times bestseller list, not saying it can't happen, and goodness knows I, it would be great if it happened for me, but if that is the only thing you, how you are going to define your success, that is that is a long road to hoe, as, as my grandma used to say. You may want to, you have to find, there's so many other joys and plateaus that sometimes we don't look at those. It's only success if you hit the New York Times bestseller list. It's only success if you're you're doing this. And and we miss the things that we've talked about here, encouraging others, uh, being a role model for others. Um, many more people will be what they call mid-list writers than they will be New York Times Every, every time you put a book out, writers. So yeah. where do you find your happiness? Is your joy in the craft or is your joy in just only hitting that plateau? My joy is in the craft and writing the books and telling the stories. I, you know, if, if the New York Times bestseller happens, great. 
but you have to find your your joy in this process because publishing is pretty cruel. I mean, it really is. Yeah. I don't know. I have so I have writers um, who come to me uh, because you have to write a complete manuscript of a novel to get consideration for a literary agent in most cases. So you have to do the whole thing, the whole sweaty work of writing a complete manuscript. And I've had writers be like, well, if I don't get an agent after all that, it was for nothing. Oh, my and goodness. I, <laughs> I just want to tell those writers, I'm like, if you're not getting anything from the actual writing process, if it's so only goal oriented to your fabulous point, you're going to have a tough time. I'm I'm just going to be like, <laughs> you're going to have a tough time. I've, like I said, I had three or four. There would probably be. Now, keep in mind, there's always lightning in the bottle. There's always a writer that comes along, their first novel, they're millionaires. It happens. I know these people. They're on my bookshelf. I know them personally. It happens. So we we're, please don't think it doesn't. I'm not a naysayer. It doesn't. But is that the norm? No. The norm is maybe it's your first, second, third book before you even land an agent. That's the reality of it. For me, it was my... Um, fourth completed manuscript before I landed an agent, would I take any of those novels back? No, I've learned something from every one. So, and I love what I do. I love the, the art of, the act of putting words on the page. That's what I love. So I'm doing what I love. You just have to, to get to the point where doing what you love and you're making the money to sustain. Cause right now I'm, it's, 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 it's working, but some, most of the time it's, doesn't work. You know, you're, I was working at the post office not too long ago, you know, just making ends meet. We can have another podcast about that. There's things that you do. And if you're not willing to do those things, um, you know, everyone wants it right now, right now, right now. And that's not how it happens in most cases. And we didn't even talk. I don't know if we have time. Remember, we were going to talk about being um, from Hyperion to Little Brown. So you had a publisher change. You So I think Love Like Sky was acquired by Disney Hyperion. Disney Hyperion went through some changes. Their list was bought by Little Brown Books for Young Readers. That's who issued Forever This Summer. So you've had some ups and downs in terms of even the publishing home that you thought you had. Right. I When I first landed my agent, like I said, it took me years and years and years. But when I wrote this novel, I wrote it in probably a year and landed an agent in just a, a few months. That's how it happens. Amazing. That's how it happens sometimes. But people hear that, but they don't know about the 10 years I spent being rejected. So landed the agent, wrote the book, published with Disney, I'm Hyperion. Um, everything was going well, but Disney, this is realistic fiction. That's what I write. And Disney is mostly known for uh, fantasy and you know, magical realism. So Disney decided to cut back on their uh, realistic fiction titles and strictly focus mostly on their, you know, their trademark. And one day I just woke up and I received this email that says, welcome to Little Brown. I'm like, what? I was just working. I mean, it really happened. Um, <laughs> I was working with the editor at Disney maybe two or three days before we were working on Forever This Summer. And a couple of days later, it was welcome to Little Brown. That's how is that's how it happens. Fortunately for me, I have a very happy ending because everything flowed so smoothly. 
I mean, I didn't, they didn't miss a beat. I had an agent. I mean, I had my publicist. I had another editor and things carried on. But sometimes I've heard that can be a really big issue. But anyway, just that's just one example of how things change with publishing. You never know. I've, I've had in the course of completing um, for uh, Love Like Sky, like two editor. No, I never had an editor change for that book. But I did have an editor change, of course, going into Forever This Summer. So you just never know. You just have to be attached to your work and love what you do. And I think that that has been more or less your story, whether you were officially pursuing writing, but you called yourself a dyed-in-the-wool writer. That's just always been what you come back to when it comes that to is, craft. That is it. And I, that's, that's, just, that's it, Mary. And at, at the end of the day, I am truly fortunate that I found my passion, that I found my calling, and um, everything else from here is just sharing what I know and also just staying true to to what I do and writing more books. Leslie, <laughs> yeah, write and writing more books. Writing more uh, books, and- you know. There's so much, you know, and making and and I'll just end on this. I have these. Uh, little posters, you know, handwritten posters around my home. And it's it says, stay aligned. Just stay aligned. Because sometimes I think we get ourselves out of alignment where, you know, I'm doing this and I should be focused. So the ideal of staying aligned and staying in my craft and, and just staying focused with that is, 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 it helps, you know. So just, just stay aligned, stay focused. And I think that that I think you can apply that to pretty much everything. I think a lot of people are just trying to stay alive at this point. <laughs> it is a beautiful. Point. It's a beautiful reminder to stay aligned. Stay aligned. Stay aligned. for that. Just just a slightly higher level when it comes to yourself and your writing, and that's that's clearly been working for you. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. What a wonderful just story you've told us about yourself, about your work. I think I think that we need to so this was the warm and fuzzy craft focused interview. I think we need like a down to basics like business interview where we just ruin everybody's dreams of the you know what that's process. pretty much. Like I said sometimes I'll just get I'm so emotional about this thing and I love it so much that I have a tendency Unless, you know, you have this list of questions, you're, I'll just get off into, because it's just what I've been doing for so long. And, you know, but people, they come at they come at it with, I want it now. I'm like, really? Do you? Oh, okay. Um, that's not usually how it happens. Um, they don't want to do the and work. And that's, I mean, when people, I, I talk about, we I mentioned Shark Tank, but you see somebody up on that stage, you see their like two minute performance, right? You see their pitch. And you're like, oh, man, they just got up on TV, reality TV. Reality TV has ruined everybody's sense of craft and hard work and perseverance and the time it actually takes to do something. They just see the American Idol edition. They don't see the voice lessons and the dance training and all of the stuff that went into that one pinnacle moment. Interesting, because those are the voice and Shark Tank. Um, as in some comedies are usually it for me for TV because I love Shark Tank 
because I understand what it takes to be just like you to be there. And, and, you know, they're going for their dreams and they spent years in most cases coming up with this. So I love watching Shark Tank for that reason. And I love watching The Voice because they're like, here's my shot. And that's how it is with, with writing. Here's my shot. They shoot you down sometimes, sometimes not. But that's how I look at it. And, you know, those when I'm on my writing breaks, I watch Shark Tank. <laughs> I do. I it, love it. I watch it for the business advice. Like when Kevin O'Leary's like, but how does it make money? Yeah, how does I'm like, yeah, Brenda. I yeah, Brenda, that. how does it? Yeah, I, I like that. I like it for the fact that they can stand up there and take the critique, which is people need to learn. You have to learn how to take critique. You have to do that well. Um, and then you have to be, you have to go for your dreams, which is at the end of the day, what writing is about. You, you, you're going for your dreams. You're putting it on the line. And even if they say no, you're going to stick with it and you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So then you have to have all of that. Um, and the same with the voice. You have people just putting their, you know, putting not themselves, but actually their stories. When we tell our stories, we're putting our, we're putting it out there for the world. And then we, you know, there's a whole nother podcast about how do you deal with criticism? How do you deal when you're, the, the book, you know, is not doing as well as you thought? How how do you do when it's doing, you know, so much goes into this. So I think that's that's what people need to understand. And it's, it's never just the warm and fuzzy. It's never just the overnight success because there is no such thing um, in most cases. Well, even now, even people that I know who got like seven figure deals, it's still not overnight. Maybe it wasn't 15 years, but it still wasn't overnight, you know. So all of that, all of that good stuff. And, you know, edit. I've, I've paid for editors out of my pocket. Um, I've learned hard lessons with that. Just so many things, you know, um, that you really have to take in consideration. I paid for editors too early. Um, yeah. Never did I not have an editor, though, because I believe in, in the importance of that. Once Once you've done the best that you can do, some people don't believe in getting someone to help you take it to another level. I believe in that, you know, sharpening your work. So all of that good stuff. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I do feel like we could talk for hours and hours. We can, um, you know, we got so much to say. And maybe, so and maybe we will. Maybe we'll do a part a part two for kind of nitty gritty author consideration. Yeah, we, can do, we, can, we can do that. And keep in mind, I have other work coming out. There's also another good topic to talk about, which is outside of the novels. I have really opened myself up, which is something that I didn't think that I would do to doing like collaborations because you have to yes. keep the lights on. You have to understand this vision as a writer, especially when you're working to be 100% full-time writer, it takes a lot more because everybody thinks, you know, with two books, oh, you know, some people in my family, I'm sure they think that I'm rich now, you know. <laughs> but people don't understand there's the payment structure for publishing. There's And they chop it into as many payments as they can right. get away with. All of that is what we need to talk about. So what do you do when, and when I say stay aligned, I'm talking, when I, I mean it in, in the sense that Leslie, you have to, you have bills to pay. Um, you don't have a book, another book contract right now. 
but working at the post office is not where you need to be. You have to do, so you have to stay aligned. I have to figure out how do I continue to make money in this field? So I've been working on that and it's, it's paying off for me. Thank you so much. Thank you for speaking with us, sharing what you know. Your books are Love Like Sky and Forever This Summer out from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. Little Brown now. Books. <laughs> Little Brown. And uh, just thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. And hi, everyone with Good Story Company. I look forward to hearing from you. <laughs> yep. Here's to a good story. Thank you so much for tuning into the Good Story Podcast. My name is Mary Cole, and I want to extend my deepest gratitude to the Good Story Company team, Kristen Overman, Amy Wilson, Rhiannon Richardson, Joya Morrison Efemini, Kate London, Mikal Leah, Jenna Van Roy, Kathy Martin Olich, Len Katan Prugel, Rebecca Landesman, Steve Reese, and Gigi Collins. Please check us out at goodstorycompany.com. And I would love it if you joined Good Story Learning, a monthly membership with new content added where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know and more about writing and publishing for writers of all categories and ability levels. Thanks again for listening. And here's to a good story. Mm -hmm.